This episode was recorded prior to the police's brutal murder of George Floyd and the righteous rebellion against state violence that is flourishing and continuing to grow. The episode is late because I've been extremely busy for related reasons, but also because it felt inappropriate to post an episode about a TV show in the midst of all of this. But this episode was also recorded after the police's brutal murder of Eric Garner and a Tatiana Jefferson and Lillian Polanco and Sandra Bland. Every episode I've recorded has been preceded by the state lynching of Black people. And in fact, there were only 27 days in the year 2019 in which the police didn't kill anyone. But every episode was also recorded during a time where Black organizers have been building resistance to racism and policing. There are so many things you can do to help. Even if you can't attend a protest in person, there are meaningful things you can do online and over the phone to support Black Lives Matter. I'm happy to connect folks with organizations that can use a hand or meaningful online tactics you can take. And if you do have money, consider supporting the Black Visions Collective in Minnesota. They did so much of the visionary work for restorative justice in the Twin Cities. Uh, When you heard about how Minneapolis is dissolving their police department, it's because of groups like Black Visions Collective that made that possible. And they've been fighting this fight for a long time. I know a lot of national groups with names whose names you know are raising a lot of money right now. But Black-led community organizations where you live are not getting the same kind of donations. So I consider donating to Black-led community-based organizations uh, who really will notice your dollars and cents. This week's episode is about the Shira series finale. And I want to recommend folks read an article by Tahir Dukit. It's called, Do We Need the Police? Stephen Universe and Shira Suggest We Don't. I'll link to it in the show notes. The article ran on Collider. Um, You should definitely read it. Even if you haven't seen either of these animated shows, it will give you a great window into why we are saying that defunding the police and ending the policing is a real thing that we can actually do in real life. Uh, So get on that article and read it. And with that, let's get started. Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Elon Levin. And welcome back to Etheria for one last trip into the world of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. That's right. We're covering the show finale of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, the Netflix show that I think basically every queer person I know is watching and a lot of people who aren't also. And um, I'm really excited to be able to dive into this show. Uh, We've covered it already twice, uh, early seasons, and we also covered seasons two and three. And uh, this will be an entirely spoiler-filled episode. So if you haven't finished the the most recent and final season, you're going to want to go and do that. And if you'd like to listen to my past episodes, I highly suggest it. Um, And get ready for some spoilers because I've got some amazing guests to talk about the show with me. Joining me for the first time is Lux Alptrom. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Lux is a Peabody-nominated producer and writer whose work has appeared in the New York Times, Cosmopolitan, and Hustler. Her first book, Faking It, The Lies Women Tell About Sex and the Truth They Reveal, explores our cultural obsession with feminine deceit. Welcome to the show for the first time. Yeah, thank you for having me. I feel like we began talking about a shared interest in geek culture a mutual friend's Christmas party, and it took like two years for us to both be watching the same show at the same time in order for that to happen. I mean, there's a lot of geeky stuff out there, so. That's true. Like, there really is. Uh, now more and, than ever, really. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's the fact that I'm not watching Harley Quinn right now, even though it's an animated show about women with superpowers who are kissing each other. Like, the mm. fact that... I'm not watching that right now shows you how much media there is that um, I could be that like has stuff that I want to see in it. But, um, but Shira was absolutely a can't miss for me. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a fantastic show. And joining me for the third time to talk about Shira is May Rude. May Rude is a Los Angeles based trans Latina lesbian. She's a journalist who's worked for Autostraddle, them.us, and Out Magazine, as well as a sensitivity reader and trans consultant on novels, comics, TV shows, and video games. She's consulted on titles like Lumberjanes by Noelle Stevenson, who you may recall as being the showrunner of this show. 
uh, Bitch Planet and Cosmo Nights, and is obsessed with queer representation in media. Welcome back to the show, May. Hi, thanks for having me back. I'm so excited. I'm always excited to talk about Shira, and I love talking about it with you. Thank you, and I'm in, I'm in good company because you've also spoken about it recently on NPR. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was um, a great time. I've been really excited at how much mainstream media coverage the finale has gotten. Like there was a piece in CNN. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yes. CNN and uh, like geeky websites like io9 is having constant coverage of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, io9 I expect to. I'm just always impressed to see shows like this get coverage somewhere like CNN. Yeah. And it really is newsworthy. I mean, we're only a couple of years into the time period in which we've seen female characters kiss each other in in all ages oriented animated shows. Like this is just a couple of years into this thing being a thing. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see the media treating this as a major media event, like from the standpoint of uh, the show being a social phenomenon that lots of people are going to watch and have feelings and talk about. Yeah, and like uh, last year, Catradora was the number two most popular ship on Tumblr. Like, it's a cultural phenomenon. It's not just relegated to small, like, queer spaces or queer women fandom. It's a huge thing. And now it's, like, canonically ensconced in the annals of uh, pop culture things that happen. Yeah. It's, it's the sort whole of an center of the show. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, and that's been interesting to hear people talk about. Um, I I don't I don't know if you if if, if folks have watched uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, mm-hmm. but I think it's sort of an interesting moment that Avatar The Last Airbender is back on is back on TV. I'm sorry, it's on Netflix, so everybody's sort of watching it again. And it's a gorgeous, stunning show with all kinds of really beautiful political um political work in it in addition to all the beautiful world building, but without any sort of like central queer characters or relationships. And um, Mm -hmm. it's sort of an interesting contrast to see uh, how central the, in the end of the day, the romantic relationship was between Catra and Adora in this and how much that's a big part of the discourse versus the fact that we like, I don't know. I, I, I just think that like, that's the last thing that we talk about when we talk about Avatar, at least I, as someone who's, I'm not super involved in the fandom, but I did listen to a number of podcasts around it. And it just feels like this show has a real emphasis that's been on relationships of all different kinds, like be they uh, pseudo familial romantic um, in some cases, like about government structure even, but that this is really a relationship driven show in, in in a really serious way. Yeah, and uh, love is a central uh, theme, and they like all throughout the whole show. It's all about how the love that these people have for each other is what helps them defeat the horde and helps them defeat Horde Prime. Well, and not even just that, but about that helps them become better people. Yes, I mean, I I really love that it's a show where, with rare exception, most of the villains are are um they're able to overcome their villainy you know most of the villains are redeemed in some way you know we have shadow weaver i think shadow weaver is kind of the first case of that crossing over and betraying hordak um but ultimately kind of dealing with her trauma dealing with her pain and trying to become a good person obviously i mean one of the reasons this season made catra so compelling for me um was because you know, Catcher's been a, I think, a little bit more simplistic in earlier seasons and more of just an antagonist. And obviously, there was definitely like the trauma of abandonment as an undercurrent. But, you know, she was really leaning into just being a heel and being an antagonist um, and being power hungry. And I think in this season, we really see her fleshed out um, into being someone with severe abandonment issues, someone who has turned to cruelty because of her own feelings of inadequacy and her own just lack of sense of self-worth. And I just really loved that this season was like, oh, you see this person who's being horrible, who's been horrible to you for so many years, and you greet them with love. And greeting them with love is how you repair things. You don't 
you don't fix things by quote unquote getting back at them. You fix things by embracing them. And I, I just love seeing shows with that kind of message. I don't remember which season it was, but the one where it's called Corridors, where you have the flashback to their childhood yeah. together, and you see mm-hmm. that it's not like it's just Catra has, you know, short-tempered and sensitive, but Adora has had issues of not kind of undermining her and leaving her behind in the past. It isn't yeah. just. And that and that the way the abuse in oh, the Horde has been structured has fallen largely to hurt uh, Catra in an unfair way that, that gives you that context of their dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, that's in the first season. I mean, it's definitely like been a really thoughtful show and been really thoughtful about Katra since the beginning. But I think this season she really came into her own. Mm-hmm. Also, I think it did a great job of showing that Adora also needed to grow and learn to love herself. And she needed to learn that sacrificing herself isn't the only way she can be useful um, when mm-hmm. Mara visits her in that in the heart of Etheria, and she's like, "No, I sacrificed myself so that you wouldn't have to do this. You're worth more than what you can give to other people." And it's just really powerful that this show, like all the main characters, need to learn to love themselves and love other people and trust each other. And it's I I just love it. Yeah. One of the cool things with, I think, this season was really Perfuma's storyline, um, which is like a small thing. But like you see uh, her saying that she actually doesn't have to stop being so emotional and caring about people so much in order to fully express her powers. And that she's like comfortable like with like leading but with kindness. And if other people see that as a weakness, like they're still, she still has, she has a, a commitment that this is how she wants to live her life. Yeah, and that, uh, I love that ev- that it was emphasized that everyone is different and that you don't have to heal the same way. You don't have to express your feelings the same way. There are multiple healthy ways to do that. And there are multiple healthy ways to be yourself. And we get, got to see a bunch of them in this show. Yeah, I think one of the things that's, it's not unique to Shira, thankfully, but it's kind of like a new um a, a new development in the media landscape since uh, depictions of women have historically not been great. But I think it's kind of wonderful <laughs> to see, you know, especially especially in like superhero shows, um, instead of just having like the girl or two girls, you have a range of ways to be a woman and a range of different kinds of expressions of femininity, mm-hmm. a range of different like female experiences. And you don't have to put like the burden of like women get to be emotional onto just like your sole female character and you get to have one female character who's like look I'm gonna be this kind of more traditionally feminine emotional character but there's all of these and that's okay and there's all of these other women who are showing different ways to be women I mean yeah it's it's just a really fantastic show on so many levels and I'm so excited that young people get to grow up with with something this thoughtful. Um, yeah, it's, it's just really awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. Like, I like the way that this show just talks about how like finding your identity and learning to like stop judging yourself and stop hating yourself for who you are. Mm-hmm. Like the lessons or the not, but it's not like in a preach way. It's not like lessony. Like the lesson this week is learn to love yourself. (laughs) But just, I think it's going to be incredible for kids and young people to be able to grow up with this for years to come. I mean, we talked a lot about how much, how deeply we love Scorpia in Mm -hmm. um, past episodes. We've discussed it, but this season it's, it's really, I mean, you, her, you know, having the moral support of her probable eventual girlfriend, Perfuma, to like mm. feel like she can be on the stage and claim that space and express herself in ways yeah. that aren't just the role someone else has given her. But like, also, this is a show that's like, we're going to show you how with her, she's going to like flex her back muscles at you. Oh, and that's going to be like a triumph moment. And that was beautiful. We understand that. Like, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's all I've From ever a show wanted. That, Mm-hmm. That from a show that began based on characters where all the female characters literally had exactly the same body because they were molded uh-huh. off the same toy mold for Mattel. 
Yeah. And literally, the main character's name is She-Ra. Like, <laughs> she's supposed to be just like, oh, this is what a girl superhero is like. Mm. Although you I know? feel like She-Ra is a better name than He-Man. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes. like, like if you want to get gender essential, He-Man is like... The worst. Yeah. Yeah. Both, they, I mean, they're both tough. Like I like Ram Man I, is probably the <laughs> the worst. I can I can excuse um, Shira just because um so funny I was very very into the original Shira when I was a toddler um and my younger cousin who's three years younger than me is actually was named Shira um S H I R A and so as a three year old yeah I was very <laughs> excited that I had a younger cousin Shira Princess of Power. Um, so Shira as a name like always works a little better to me because I'm like, well, Shira's a name, but like mm-hmm. He-Man is not a name. Yeah, I, and right. I liked the in this show they they kind of like leaned into pronouncing more like Shira, yeah, as opposed to She-Ra, you know. But there would so, also be like She Sun God, right? Like Ra, the god of the sun. Oh, I, I, I don't had know. Not There's an interesting connection. Mythology. I mean, look when they save the world, they basically turn it into a big Yggdrasil. You know, mm-hmm. like this giant world's tree. Um, my husband, raised Catholic, pointed out when in the very finale and you see Shira, he's like, she has a wound in her side like Christ. I was <laughs> like, mm, yes. There's yes, a does. lot of <laughs> Christian stuff in here. Um, Horde Prime spaceship. Like Noel said that Horde Prime spaceship was based on mega churches. Oh, my God. I grew up yeah. in a conservative Christian church that did uh, conversion therapy. Oh, like literally I've been thinking nonstop about in save the cat when Catra undergoes conversion therapy and Horde prime is like, Oh, I saw her mind. It was all destroyed and stressed out. And she was in constant turmoil because of you, Adora. And I brought her into the light. I baptized her and now she has a pure mind and she's not thinking about any of that stuff. I love the way that, this show like addressed that, which is such a big thing in so many people's lives. Like the way that Horde Prime and like brainwashed Catra, like sorry to jump right into like later spoilers. No. Uh, but the way that they were talking is like exactly how people talk like around conversion therapy and like praying away the gay where it's like, Adora, you broke my heart, but Horde Prime fixed me, and you can be fixed too if you just join the light with us. Is I love it. That's amazing. Yeah, I had not made that connection because that's not a reference point I personally have. But now that you're mentioning it, I mean, yeah, I think it's really powerful that you know you and have... he's like dressed like a priest. Yeah, yeah, and that I guess it's... yeah, it's, it's really powerful that you know the main. The big bad in this season is about about uh, eradicating individuality, quite literally, and mm-hmm. like in some cases through this baptismal um, proceeding, and yeah, and and turning people from these different individuals who have their complex, messy lives into extensions of this one person's vision. Exactly. Which, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's yeah. There's a lot of parallels to what many queer people are put through. Yeah, like, as a trans lesbian who grew up in a church like that, like, I had, like, shivers for a bunch, for so many scenes where it was just like, wow, this is, like, how my pastor would talk. Or, like, Mm. this is what our baptismal font looked like. (laughs) Like, it's, it's incredible. It was one of my favorite things about this season. And the whole show, I think, is a lot about, like... Well, like with all the predestination stuff Mm -hmm. where Adora is like, oh, I have to sacrifice myself. That's the only way that I can, that's, it's my destiny. I have to do it, you know? Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I love love that it pushed back on that. Mm -hmm. And because we get so many, there's so many stories that tell us that a hero is someone who is selfless. And we do see acts of selflessness within this series, like, um, Glimmer's mom obviously gives herself, uh, sacrifices herself, and Shadow Weaver sacrifices herself. But I think 
I think telling Adora that, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, you know, that continually mm-hmm. to give and give and give is not, um, is not strength. And to jump a little bit into a different series, I feel like Steven Universe in its final season also made an argument about that, yeah. about just saying, you know, Steven and Adora, I think are both characters who feel like the way that they contribute is by taking care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. and pushing themselves past their limits. And I think having both of these shows push back on that and say, like, no, if you destroy yourself, that's bad for everybody. Like, mm-hmm. You can't, your worth is more than just what you're willing to sacrifice for other people. In a way, uh, Shadow Weaver, like sacrificing herself is also a way for her to get out of her accountability. Like mm-hmm. I, I've been, I've been very obsessed with how this season handles Shadow Weaver's relationship with Katra and Adora because you have this example of these are two people, you know, they were raised with this abusive pseudo parent figure. They have a bit of distance from her now. So they're aware of the, what of her game and yet they can't keep it from still like working on them a bit, like on an intellectual level, they're like, I know this is the kind of mind games that you play. I know this is how you manipulate people, but on an emotional level, they can't quite turn it off. And you still see, you know, shadow weaver doing that, trying to make uh, Shira sacrifice herself and trying to imply that her love with Katra is a weakness. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and, but that this is, and that this is just, she can't help herself by continuing to say that. And there's an amazing quote from Noel Stevenson. Um, I think it was in CBR um, where she said, um, she described uh, Shadow Weaver's death thusly. And this is a quote. It is still kind of selfish. It is still kind of a selfish end. It was something that Catra was also confronted with. Maybe I've done so much wrong that the only way to make up for it is to sacrifice myself and die. And then they'll have to forgive me because I died saving someone. Catra is forced to stick around and actually confront the mistakes she has made and actually fix them, becoming better and a more positive person through that. Shadow Weaver makes that choice to just sort of peace out. Even that little smug smile at the end that now you have to forgive me. Goodbye. It's so her. I love it. I was like, oh, fuck. Um, Although I do think it's interesting that both people who ultimately sacrifice themselves are mothers slash mother figures and flawed mothers. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, think, I think there's something worth examining there. I don't, I don't think Angela sacrificing herself is quite the same as... No. Shadow Weaver, but it is framed in this, like, I've always been a coward. I've always, um, you know, I've tried to protect people by preventing them from doing anything. And now I'm going to do, like, this one act of bravery. I mean, it, it is obviously framed a little bit differently than Shadow mm-hmm. Weaver, but it is fundamentally, like, this major sacrifice is how I make up for my failings. They're also adults. And yeah. like, that's one of the things I've been thinking a lot about this season as well is like, you know, Shadow Weaver is a, is a real adult. Angela obviously is a real adult. Uh, one of the things that I liked about this season being the one where like you actually hear Natasha and Spinnerella address each other as wives is it sort of is like, yeah, they're adults. Mm. And it was sort of, uh, you know, at different times in the show, it's been a little bit hard to keep track of sort of where, how old everybody is. And that is a th- something which is relevant to questions of people's maturity level, what level of authority they should be having in certain situations, mm-hmm. etc. Um, And so sort of being able, oh, that's right. Like Natasha and Spinarella were in the warrior council from the back in the beginning with their mom. Like, I, you know, I, I like they're not princesses yet. They have powers. So I'm a little bit unclear on what's up with that. But, um, but this season, you know, and you always, always know Frost does the kid because she's like <laughs> literally a kid. But um, sort of sorting out sort of like, you know, you have Micah comes back, right? Like, what's the role of, you know, young people have been running the show in absence of parents for a while now. And now you have Micah back. Um, and uh, I don't know. It just, there's sort of an interest, there's something very c- complicated in the way um, you have there are different generations interacting with each other. And the art style makes it a little bit hard to tell necessarily who's supposed to be how old. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not trying but, to think yeah. who I know are adults. I mean, Casta, Spella, Micah, Angela, um, mm-hmm. I, I, whether or not Horde and Hordak, and I guess they count as adults, like all the yeah, clones, yeah, it's yeah, a sure. little hard to say. Um, uh, I think Entrapta <laughs> is definitely like a lot older than most of the other princesses. Yeah. But it seems like, I mean, a lot of them, like the impression that I got is that a lot of the princesses are young because 
they are the children of people who were killed in the first mm-hmm. princess alliance. And so yeah. they're, it really is a story in a lot of cases about people who are making up for uh, their parents' shortcomings and trying to figure out what to do in the absence of their parents. Mm-hmm. Also, literally, it's about former child soldiers. And, like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Adora and Catra were in this evil army since they were babies. Like, they were raised by... <laughs> Hordak and Shadow Weaver, like it's, it's so, like it's, and again, it's so good to show that they can grow and change, and that mm-hmm. uh, they're not trapped in this abusive cycle. Because, like, and for a while, like they kind of are. For a lot of the show, they kind of yeah. are. Adora yeah. keeps on going off on her own and tra- trying to sacrifice herself. Catra obviously is lashing out and hurting everyone that she can, and. Uh, then finally, this season at the end, especially at the end, we're able to see them break free of that cycle of abuse and become healthy people, despite like literally growing up as child soldiers. Yeah, I I think it's also fascinating that even Hordak kind of gets a bit of a redemption. Like, yeah, obviously Horde Prime doesn't, but you know, I right. thought it was really sweet that at the end we have like. Hordak being freed from Horde Prime and being embraced by Entrapta and that that this idea that the power of friendship can help even the villain. Yeah. And like I I saw Noelle say that uh, she thinks he should still do like community service and stuff, <laughs> which oh, I yeah. really like cuz like yeah. yeah, he was an overlord. Like he <laughs> tried to take over. He killed a lot of people. Yeah, again, there's a difference between, for example, Scorpia, who it's really clear that she was raised, she was basically given to the Horde to like serve in the Horde and didn't have a lot of understanding that she might have any other option, you know, her, mm-hmm. in her life versus, you know, Hordak, who's, and I think that it's it's interesting that um, I, I really, really do enjoy what the show did with Hordak in general, but like, you know, it, it's interesting how, um, when they finally had in the end of last season had Horde Prime and Hordak interacting and like you could see all of Hordak's inferiority complex like why mm. he acts that way where it's coming from um, I am a little bit obsessed with I don't know if folks know from like the X-Men the whole like with Wolverine like Weapon X you're not Weapon X you're Weapon 10 and my brain was like ah oh, he's not Hordak, Hordak. <laughs> he's Horde K as in the a thousandth he's the a thousandth Hordak Ooh. but um, oh, I, didn't I don't even. know if that's I, I don't know that. that that's real I don't know that but that's I real. love that um, yeah. like, okay cool <laughs> even if it's not like real or whatever like it's still I think gives a lot of insight to the character. You know, and I loved at the end, he's like, well, I named, I created a name. I have an identity. I have my own relationships. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, I can't just be like interplaced or interchanged with this other person. But I'm also, but you know, so much of his complexity as a character comes from like the fact that he was disabled and that he like was constantly feeling like he had to hide that. And sublimated mm. in some way, or else he would be exposed as being weak. Like there was just always a lot of interesting stuff going on there. But yeah, that's one guy who needs to do a lot of community service <laughs> yeah. because it's 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 not not the same as Scorpio. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah. Although, let's talk briefly about Wrong Hordak. I am I when they first started referring to Wrong Hordak as Wrong Hordak, I needed to like make sure that I heard it right because. <laughs> That is so totally something that I would have called it and felt very guilty calling it. And so I'm kind of amazed that the show got away with calling him wrong Hordak, as in like Hordak with whom something is wrong. Like, I don't know, that that that's hilarious. And then the fact that they they didn't come up with some, we'll call you da-da-da instead. Like, uh-huh. no, he's just called wrong Hordak throughout. Yeah. To me, is like very dark and very funny. <laughs> Yeah, like, I think this whole season, like, did a really good job of balancing super dark stuff with, like, the more, like, the show is, like, we, it's for for kids, kind of, you know, it's, like, all ages, it's got a lot of humor in it, it's got young characters, like we've been saying, but this season had so much super dark stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Did, like 
Catra like breaking her arm and twisting it around uh, when she's like mind controlled. Uh, Natasha and Spinarella. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I was happy for that subplot because it gave the, it gave us to have like, here's a, here's like a queer female couple. And like, we actually are going to spend some time looking at their relationship with each other and how meaningful it is. Yeah. Like their whole thing was about their relationship. It was like, Oh, I forgot her anniversary. Oh, I need to get my wife back because she's my wife and I love her. Yeah. Like it wasn't just like one mention of them being wives. And also shout out for the fact that Natasha is obviously uh, Etheria's Batman since she has a plan for everybody's weakness and is like confused that everybody else doesn't also have a plan for everybody's weakness already. Yeah. That was incredible. And spraying Catra just with the little spray bottle. Amazing. Perfect. It was, I I mean, talk about a great minor character. Um, Oh, but speaking of dark things, yeah, I mean, you have the whole fact that you have like, okay, I've been genociding other planets. And you, the, the conversation in the in Ford Prime's ship with um, with uh, with Glimmer and mm-hmm. he's saying this is a delicacy of a world that I killed, like that is such an amazing arch villain moment, yeah, um, and really shows you the stakes at play. Yeah, and it does a great job because we've been on Etheria for basically the whole show, and then now mm-hmm. all of a sudden. We're in outer space, and it's like, oh, here are the stakes. He's wiped out countless planets. He has trophy rooms. Yeah. No, I mean, I I also love that we get to meet some of his other victims. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really fantastic episode where we're confronted with, with the fact that many, many, many other worlds have fallen to this, mm-hmm. uh, to this guy, and that you know, it's not that that. I mean, it really drives home just like how it, how essential it is that Etheria doesn't give up, but also how impossible it is that Etheria doesn't give up. Mm-hmm. Um, although you know, I do like that when we find Milog, it's like ah, we we have like the secret. It's he he's his kryptonite is magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? and like of course it is, you right? Know? Like, no. And yet it, it didn't feel ham-handed because it was just sort of was like, this is a natural extension of the world, I suppose. Well, and especially because I think the way that magic is constructed in this universe is that it's very much about love and it's very much about all of the uh, friendship and believing in yourself and all of these things that are directly opposed to what Hordak is about. I mean, it's also mm-hmm. a theory is magic is very much about individuality. And that's obviously directly counter to what Hordak wants to see in the universe, or what. Hordak I also Prime, think there's rather. a strong environmental sort of metaphor, like when you the magic sort of looks like pollen. I was actually yeah. half expecting mm. the Hordaks to start sneezing, <laughs> um, but uh, but like you know the the when when Shira restores the planet, like you see this return of nature coming back in these plants. You have. Nature, uh, the whispering wood has sort of been protecting the remaining magic on the mm-hmm. planet. I, and I, and, and the way that people keep talking about draining the magic, it's like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of like natural resources, sort of a metaphor to how oh, they absolutely. talk about magic being harvested. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's a lot of themes of colonialism, uh, mm. like Horde, that Horde Prime's whole thing is he has an empire and he, is spreading it and taking over people, taking over people's lands and erasing their individuality so that everyone is like him. Like, yeah. it's, that's what colonialism is. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's, it's funny to me that two of my favorite, like quote unquote kids shows are both queer women rallying against colonialism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great What's to see. What's your other favorite? Oh, I was going to say Steven Universe. It's another ah, anti-colonialist yes. mm-hmm. uh, allegory. Totally. Totally. Not surprised to hear that. I just was like, oh, curious. Yeah. Um, I, the, the, I, the season is also, the show's always been very genre aware. I mean, like, you know, it had a whodunit episode and yeah. it had a D&D episode. Mm-hmm. I appreciated this season's noir episode. Like, and um, so good. Yeah. it feels like an AU within the show. It's sort of like, what if these characters you know and love wore what they would be wearing if this was a film noir? And yeah. like, let's give a, an excuse for that. 
And uh, let's have a song number that's like straight, like, you know, straight up a torch song opportunity. And um, that was a cool episode also because it was the first time I had any understanding of like why you have Seahawk, possibly the most irritating character <laughs> with uh, Mermista, the character who's most likely to be irritated by something. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. I'm beginning to understand this relationship now. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I, I really got a kick out of that episode the designs of the set there were great and just mm-hmm. like, you know, it made me so happy to see like Perfuma and, and Scorpia dancing together. I guess I'm a shipper or something. So and Scorpia's song was incredible. So adorable. I'm a spy. It was, it was so good. It, and it was so Scorpia. Like, of course, Scorpia would just sing their plan out loud. Yeah. And it was nice to have Double Trouble back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also Prince Peekaboo looked great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a great design. Yeah. I will Just, say I will say I do wish Double Trouble hadn't been the only non-binary character because I think they're great, but I, I saw some and I, I, I can understand why people struggle with this. I saw some people saying like how frustrating it was to have the one non-binary character be a double agent and be yeah. not trustworthy and be Oh. And mm. I mean, you know, I I think I, I'm not going to criticize the show for that. I think that's more about just that there's only one yes. and that mm-hmm. it's so new just to TV. Like I think the fact that they had a non-binary character and I think double trouble being non-binary makes sense, but I just wish like we were at a point where people didn't have to be like, Oh, the only time we see non-binary people, they're villains. Like I wish, I wish representation had gotten to the point where, that didn't even have to be a thing. Cause I think not, I think double trouble's great. And I love that Jacob to be a, um, mm-hmm. voice, the character. I think it's so, so good. Like it, it didn't even occur to me until I saw someone else mention it. And then I was like, ah, I wish we were at a point where we didn't have to think about that because yeah. we just had enough diverse non-binary representation. Yeah, definitely. And like, I mean, and, 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 and also again, another example of like, somebody's a non-binary and it's, and it's re- related to their powers rather yeah. than like just mm-hmm. because, but like this show definitely just has so much gender variation and diversity, like in general, it's like, I, you know, the, I, the fact that I feel like fans of generally are like, yeah, Bo is trans and yeah. it's, it's sad mm-hmm. that they can't just like say Bo is trans, but like Bo is trans, <laughs> um, you know, um, I mean, not to just tell you, everybody, you must agree with me on this, but I think that people, I think, generally yeah. do at this point. Yeah, and I think a lot of people also uh, see Perfuma as a trans woman. Ah, cool. I'm all at for At least it. a lot of trans trans women fans I know do. Oh, neat. Uh, and then also, I like Scorpia as a trans woman. And yeah. I like that as a trans for trans lesbian couple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, I, I mean, I love that people can see themselves in the show. Mm-hmm. Like even yeah. when it's not explicit, there's just so much. Yeah. There's like body diversity and like gender presentation diversity. Yeah. Like we have Catra wearing suits and then yeah. short hair Catra looking so great. Yeah. I part of why I have so much affection for Catra is uh visually she looks a lot like my sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, not personality wise, but just visually. And then when she <laughs> got the pixie cut, it was like my sister in her early twenties. And I was just like, Oh my god. That's Incredible. amazing. I have a I have a Jen Bar I have a Jen Bartel. Uh, print of Catra in her party suit, which I was nice. just like, oh, excellent! It's just there's such a great aesthetic moment. There's so much beautiful design with all the characters. That's what that's the thing. If they were going to do like a film noir episode and they weren't going to nail costumes, then I wouldn't really be that excited. But like, this is a show where they actually really put in the work on character design and costume design and set the set design of the settings Everyone and locations. Looks so great, yeah. I mean, it's like, but like, I actually don't know if we talked to because we barely saw him last season, but like Horde Prime's design, like the whole like three eyes on the side, like asymmetrical, yeah. the all-knowing yeah. eyes of Prime. I mean, it, this is amazing character design. And then the way he has the like tendrils that so, the, soak up the like life force that all of his clones give. The, yeah. It's so good and it's so creepy and weird. 
and every time he like jumps into a new body that was that they did it so great yeah also just going back to um what you were saying about it feeling like a mega church i i thought it was extra creepy how everyone was brother and sister and just identity erased yeah absolutely absolutely I think they were able to great. Yeah. It was able, they were able to keep it really creepy, like in those scenes. Um, impressively. So. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the voice actors did so great, like, especially people uh, like who, who, the person who voices Hordak and Horde prime. Yeah. Like, and wrong Hordak. To do all those characters. Yeah. That's incredible. And Kest- AJ Keston John is, did great as Keston John is yeah. his name. Yeah, I was like, mm. I yeah, I g- getting to do all those different voices and be clear. And we got to see Huntara briefly near the end, of course. Yeah, girl, obviously yeah. Gina Davis. Oh my god, um, incredible! But yeah, like all the voice acting perform. And you know who else is an ama- does an amazing voice acting work on a character who their voice could have Christine Woods is entrapped up. Like it would be so easy for Entrapta's voice to be grating, um, but it's not. Like it's a pleasure. Yeah, it's. it's I it's, love Entrapta. It, I, I she's one of my favorites just because I love a weird, nerdy lady. <laughs> I mean, I, I. What did you think of her? Like, I have autism. Speech that they did this season. I'm, trying- I'm not. Autistic, but uh, like I mean, I think they did a good job. Uh, Like I mean, obviously, they're like autistic characters have such a weird history in TV. Yeah, like how TV portrays characters on the autism spectrum, like with like Big Bang Theory, and then like everything where it's like, oh, this like. Like uh, Hannibal, where they say like there's a fine line between autism and being a psychopath. Oh, good God! They yeah, say that? it's it's bizarre. But and so I think they did a good job of like I mean, obviously, again, I'm not autistic. I don't want to speak for autistic people, but like I love Entrapped as a character. I don't know anyone who doesn't love her. Uh, I think a lot of people relate to her, whether they're autistic or not. I think they did a great job of making her sympathetic and fun and yeah. funny. Yeah, and likewise, I don't feel like I can speak to autism a great character. representation for her, but I do think just throughout the show, she's been really fantastic as someone whose perception and understanding of the world is definitely different from that mm-hmm. of everyone around her and someone who is incredibly literal and incredibly focused on very specific things. Um, And I think it does a good job of helping you understand why she does what she does. Like it's really understandable to me when she goes over to the horde. Uh, I don't think that that's, it's not something where you think like, why did she do that? Or like, Oh, she's so terrible. You're like, Oh, she was abandoned and she didn't know what to do. And she doesn't necessarily have, the full understanding of what's going on that everyone else does because she has a little bit of tunnel vision. And she doesn't have like the friendship relationships yeah. that like Bo and Glimmer have who are who they're very close. Like she doesn't have that kind of thing. Yeah. Until like later with like Hordak and then like in this season she got like close with a lot of them, I think. But uh but yeah, and I think that they do a good job of showing that it's not bad that she's different. And like she even says that, you know, she's like, no, like, yeah, I, yeah she's like, yeah, I'm, I do, I'm different, and I interact with people differently, but that's not bad. That's who I am, and that's good. Like that's the whole message of the show is that you might be different than what you want to be, or what your parents want you to be, or that whoever wants you to be, but you're good the way you are. Yeah. Also, I just want to say I love, I just loved Bo and Glimmer as a friendship and possibly I wasn't sure if it was intended to be romantic when they said they loved each other at the end of this season. Um, But I mean, I just celebrate them being whatever they are because I think they're really just really sweet, that relationship. And I, I just, Bo is one of my favorite characters, like partly because I love 
uh, the voice actor, Marcus, it's, I forget if it's Scribner or Gribner, but whatever his last name is, like, I just think mm-hmm. he's really charming. And he's I like so him. Good. Everything I've seen him in, I'm like, I like you. You're charming. <laughs> and, and just Bo being like a slightly feminine dude who is also nerdy and also like really a badass archer. Like I just and loves crop tops. Yeah. Even yeah. In outer space. <laughs> He's really committed to his fashion. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I think like the, the Bo being the character who gets to do the speech to the people of of Etheria to tell them to rise up and throw off yeah. their chains. Like, I thought that was good. Like, cause he's the guy who doesn't have superpowers. So he's, it's not someone who's like immune to damage telling you to risk your life. It's someone like you, yeah. you know, he's not a mm-hmm. prince. He's just a guy. Yeah, exactly. He's not. He also he had, had a great job. He also had my favorite line of the season, which was when he said they're looking for his parents and he's like, they're dads. They can't defend themselves. <laughs> yeah. That was so great. And they like left him with like a dad joke, and I was like, oh, "It's the power of two dad jokes, twice as dadly." It was incredible. <laughs> also, one thing that I do like about, uh, or I mean, like I like everything that you said, but another thing <laughs> that I like about Bow and Glimmer was that it was kind of like it wasn't confirmed in the same way that Catradora was, yeah. like the straight relationships. Like, because obviously a lot of people ship Entrapped and Hordak. They didn't have, like, a defining, oh, we're a romantic couple moment either. Yeah. But Which then I- Spinnerella and Natasa did, and Catra and Adora did. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great inversion. I mean, I feel like the flash-forward fantasy that Shira ha- Adora has of the future, you know, implies, mm-hmm. implies them as a couple, but the script doesn't say that that's necessarily what happens, and it can certainly be Adora projecting, like, I hope my friends get married to each other because I love them, and then we'll all be together, is, like, an understandable human response to things, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't also, realize... Sorry. Oh, I was just going to make a joke. Also, in the way that, like, homophobes can be like, oh, no, they're just good friends. You can say that about Bo and Glimmer. You could just be like, oh, no, they, like, I know they look like they might be a couple, but they're just good friends. They're just good friends. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I wasn't even sure how to take that I love you, where I was like, is it just a really intense friend I love you? Or, um, although I did not know that people were um, shipping Entrapped and Hordak, and that I find troubling. I- I'm not a fan of it. It's a hugely popular ship on Ooh. Tumblr. No, I... I like that. I like Entrapta as somebody who isn't interested in. I see her as a romantic and you know probably asexual, and yeah. I like that. And I like that her closest, most intimate relationship is with Emily. And mm. like, oh well, I, wait. Talking about her being asexual, she is definitely robosexual right. in this season. That's true. Oh my god. That is when true. She, she totally the... has like hello there to like yeah. a robot. And but I... when she's like, oh, Darla and I are gonna go have some alone time. <laughs> but yeah, but I like, I mean, as an aromantic robosexual, I think that's also yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I agree with that exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, because we're so, it's so difficult to see, or it's so rare to see any kind of like aromantic female representation and i Mm. think it's really really great that she cares about computers and she likes having friends but she does not of all the characters she seems the one least interested in any kind of romantic attachment Mm -hmm. i was glad that we got to see her her um her cooking staff in the last episode coming back making tiny food for the future um yeah i you know it's it's complicated like it's I I don't it's it's complicated with respect to like what people are looking for in particular like ships and what have you I, and and it's it's a, it's stuff that I try to like keep myself out of and yet mm-hmm. it's impossible to like not have some feelings on it like I've you know like I'm sitting here being like yeah I'm definitely believe the scorpion perfume are gonna go date it's gonna be great it's like well that is shipping okay like you know I don't know. Yeah, I think um, I just, I, I feel really negatively about an Entrapta Hordak ship 
because it, I mean, A, it feels a little forced and B, like she seems so aromantic to me and he has such a history. I don't want to see him with anybody because he is (laughs) so historically so violent. Like it feels like, Oh, these two people have talked to each other and have some emotional connection. Therefore they must date. Like it just feels a little forced to me in a way that I'm uncomfortable with. What they each need is a friend. Like they don't need Mm -hmm. a romantic partner. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like, like the friendship is what they are like is what they anyone. are looking yeah. for and what they need to become better people. Yeah. Whereas like yeah, Scorpia and Perfuma dating makes more sense to me and is very sweet. And it's also yeah, I mean actually I think you bring up a really good point. I mean Hordak and Entrapta are both so isolated. And mm-hmm. the idea of like, oh, their first relationship with anybody must be a romantic one. I mean it's also it's it's akin to why I got so creeped out by Stranger Things forcing Eleven and Mike together oh. because I was just like, Eleven is like probably incredibly traumatized, has mm-hmm. like had this like really disturbing childhood, and now you think that the first thing she wants is a boyfriend? Yeah. And like similarly, like Entrapped are like, oh, Entrapped mm-hmm. has been incredibly isolated, doesn't know how to relate to people, and you think she immediately wants to uh, start making out with this clone of a <laughs> intergalactic uh, despot. Yeah. 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 And also like Hordak needs, like, it's not like, <laughs> I don't know how to relate this to like normal people. Like, <laughs> after you've just tried to take over a planet, I think it's good to take time off from romantic relationships and maybe just focus on like friendships as opposed to like, uh, like he needs to learn to just be a friend before he can be someone's boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also, it speaks to how this show inverts one of the more common tropes you see in other shows where, you know, this quote unquote love conquers all. Like this is a show that clearly believes that love conquers all, but it's not, limiting that to romantic love Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. certainly not saying that romantic love is superior to all of the other forms of love like yeah all of these characters are saved by love but it looks very different for each one of them right like it's Bo who gets score who like talks scorpia out of attacking and they don't have any romantic subtext interest or anything at all yeah i love that like yeah because, like, we had seen, like, Adora talking to Catra, mm-hmm. and then obviously Natasa and Spinarella, and then even Seahawk with Mermista when yep. Mermista's chipped. But then, yeah, I love that it's Bo, and Bo's like, look, we're friends. I need you to trust me. Yeah. I need you to remember friendship. And again, uh, and similarly with Entrapta and Hordak, I like that as him being like, oh, I made a friend. Like, this was something that wasn't even possible for me when I was a part of, like, Hordak saying this. This wasn't, having a friend wasn't possible when I was a part of you, Horde Prime, but I made a friend, and that's what got me out of this. And as part of him having an identity as a person was that he was able to have a relationship with someone who wasn't him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's so much interesting lore like that's built up around the show in questions. I mean, I I, I have to wonder like, what is Grayskull? I mean, I know what Grayskull <laughs> is because I'm aware of Hera. I mean, he 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 man. Ooh, but, like, I like calling it Hera. Fo- <laughs> Hera, I, I would be really here for Hera. Um, I, I know, you know, I know what the I, I but like the show doesn't. It, it still leaves open stuff like, well, what is what is for the honor of Grayskull and like. You know, now we're going to get some damn He-Man show with a guy showrunner. Boo earns boring. (laughs) They should have given Noel Stevenson to run the He-Man show because, like, why not let a woman run something that isn't about women for once? Yeah. Um, But anyway, but, you know, there's still sort of like, and and, and the show leaves them characters saying, we're going to go bring magic back to the rest of the universe. So I feel good about this as a finale of a series. Absolutely. Like, I think it's satisfying. But there is still stuff that, you know, you can sort of think about and imagine and explore, like, of what else could happen in the future. I kind of wish that uh, the she would launch, 
Masters of the Universe as like an inversion of the way He Man originally launched Shira. Mm-hmm. Like that would some, be incredible. Yeah, I also, I mean, I'm I'm excited for Masters of the Universe just because my friend is voicing Orko. So oh, oh shit, yeah. that's awesome. Um, yeah, my friend Griffin, um, who was he was Arthur in Amazon's The Tick, and oh, he's going to be. Oh, I'm yeah. a huge fan of him. Yeah, Griffin he's, Newman. Yeah, he's I, awesome. Yeah, I love him. I love Blank Check podcast. He's yeah. hilarious. No, he's he's a great guy. So I'm excited for him to be in Masters of the Universe. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to love it as much as Shira, but I, I got to root for Griffin. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess you have to keep wondering, like, because you know, the West, the one line that's like completely about the two worlds together is for the honor of Grayskull. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if I were her, I'd want to know what that meant. Yeah, they never touch on it. I, I hadn't thought about that. It's just sort of like the line that comes to her. I do like a- though that how open ended it is like with Mm -hmm. them saying like oh let's go bring magic to the universe like i think for the fandom that's incredible because you can write them doing anything yeah you know like the possibilities are endless for like what you can imagine the future of adora and cat the best friend squad you know like it's and it's such a, because it's also such like a cool and fun world to play in, like with the magic and now like, with God, sorry, I'm just getting like overwhelmed. There's a lot. There's yeah. so much like outer space and magic mm-hmm. and friendship and like Catra's family. Like where yeah. are more people who look like Catra? I want more cat people. Yeah, I, I, really I was wondering where about she that. came from. And uh, yeah. oh, what is his name? The lizard guy. It's like Ronaldo or something. Or mm-hmm. Rogelio. Rogelio. Yeah. 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 yeah like, Kyle's boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm torn because on the one hand, I like when shows end on a high note. I like when you know, the, like always leave them wanting more. I think it's a good philosophy, but I'm also like, but wait, I want more of this show. Yeah. <laughs> Five seasons feels too short. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I had been wondering, like there's so much diversity of species and character design and all the different beings on the planet, like to what extent we might be sort of able to see where people come from and how, and, you know, like I also was just thinking a lot about like what, you know, who are the first ones and like yeah. how is how is it that there was a first one's baby who was on the other side of a portal to be pushed through in the first place? No, absolutely. Like there's, there's so much more to explore. And I I agree with you, uh, May, that it's, it's great for the fans. It's great for uh, fan fiction. It's great for all of that. But I'm also just like, but, but I want to know what Noelle thinks. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I mean, like, I want to see a lot more Catradora kisses. Yeah. Just yeah. dozens and dozens, you know? I'm yeah. so glad they were able to just do that. Like, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just glad, like, I mean, I, I think we're getting to a point where this is unremarkable, but I just, as somebody who grew up and came out in the 90s, it's just so nice to exist at a time when you can just have a bunch of casually queer characters and nobody has to explain their queerness. Nobody's queerness has to be a thing. Uh, nobody even necessarily has to come out. It's just sort of like, it's there and it's great. Um, and it's, it's just so nice to see that in, not even just in entertainment, but in entertainment that is targeted at children. I'm just like, wow, that is yeah. very different from my childhood. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, I do think, like like you said, like it's like there are lots of great examples uh, that we've got now, like, obviously Steven Universe and like uh, Legend of Korra, they never got to like do anything in the show to like actually, you know, uh, but like still that pushed things forward a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the show Danger and Eggs. Yeah. I I actually, I know Shadi. Yeah. uh, Shadi is great. And that show did, was so great at like pushing forward, like casual queerness. Yeah. Like, that was incredible. Um, and I think, like, all of these things, and she included, have kind of created this new world where, like, we have a new baseline for queer representation. Like, it can't be just, 
like Avengers Endgame where a guy <laughs> oh, in a support group is like, oh yeah, I went on a date with a man. Or uh, it can't be onward where or is that what it's called? Beyond? Onward? It's onward, I think. Onward, where, where the lesbian cop says it gets better. So yeah. gross. <laughs> and of course they like made it a cop just to make us angry. I yeah. <laughs> Although apparently I saw that Pixar has its first gay lead character in like a short that's on Disney Plus that's called Out. And then, yeah. on the one hand, I'm like, cool, I'm glad Pixar is doing this. But on the other hand, I'm like, this sounds like a plot line from a movie from the 90s. Yeah, um, it's such... And, like, it's it's frustrating. Because, like, we've seen how the gay and queer things have get can get. Yeah. You know? Like, She-Ra is a show about a classic character from the 80s. Like she's not just an in, she's not a made a new made up character. She's a iconic character in American Toys mm-hmm. and just in like she's a, a character you know in pop culture lexicon. Yeah. People and, care about the character. Yeah, it's IP that had value. Exactly, and she's a lesbian, and she wins because she embraces being in love with another girl. Yeah, like. That's what. That's how she wins in the end. She's like, "Oh, I'm in love with you too," and then they kiss, and then that saves the day. Yeah, like it's incredible. Ugh, it's game changing. I mean, that's why it's so amazing how they handled Bo coming out to his dad's as being a rebel. <laughs> like in a world in which being queer is normal, you don't have to come out to your parents that you're queer, but they still wanted to have an episode that tackled coming out as a thing, as a concept. And so they're like, oh, we'll have it be about him coming out politically, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's brilliant because it keeps it from being like, being gay is weird or special. It's, and it can just be part of this in the standard world. Instead, it's going to be about like, you know, his ability to have freedom from his parents. I mean, because that's, you know, the other thing I was just getting on about the whole generational stuff too, is just like, this is a lot about young people developing independence, coming into leadership in a form of government. And um you know, changing the rules of what people can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both for joining me. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to make sure we do before we go? I mean, I just really, really loved Catra this season. Like, just going to hammer that home again. I thought it was really beautiful to see her given so much complexity. I think we didn't talk about Milog. Um, I will say, oh, I think yeah, that it was it. great the way they the way they gave Katra a friend who can bond just with her and be kind of her therapist um, and help her sort out her emotions and that they acknowledge that you don't have that kind of abusive childhood and then turn everything off, that there's a lot that you have to work on and unpack. Yeah. And she I deserves love a magical says, cat. Uh, sorry. And, and she deserves to have a magical cat. She does. But I love when Katra says that, like, when she's like, oh, sorry, I'm still being mean. I'm working on it. Yeah. And, like, that's such an important thing to show. Like you were saying, like, it's not just something that you can just flip off, flip on and off. Like, you have to talk to someone about your feelings. You have to apologize. You have to learn. You have to grow. You have to do hard things. And, yeah, Katra, like... I, I know a lot of people were, like, worried about a Catra redemption arc because she's done so much. Yeah. Uh, but they did such a good job of having it, like, spaced out, and she was struggling, and she would take steps forward and take some steps back. Mm-hmm. And how she couldn't do it alone. She needed a therapy cat, and she needed friendship from, like, Bo and Glimmer, and she needed love from Adora and for Adora, a, a great and I thought arc. I mean I thought her arc, her redemption arc was really realistic. Both because, as you mentioned, like it took a long time, but also it's like this is the first time she's really had to deal with the consequences of her actions. Mm. Like everything before, I think, was kind of theoretical and kind of like oh whatever, like yeah, we're burning down the planet, but like it didn't really mean anything. And then seeing what happens when your home is invaded by Horde Prime 
and seeing like, oh, wait, it's for real now. It's not just, I mean, it's also, it's like, you know, when you grow up in an abusive environment, a lot of things are normalized to you. Mm-hmm. And like, right, exactly. then sometimes you see a much worse thing and it puts everything in perspective. And I feel like, you know, so much of what she ex- goes through and how she acts in the first four seasons are about what's been normalized to her as somebody who grew up within the horde. But then seeing Horde Prime, seeing, oh, wait, this is fundamentally a quest to just erase everybody's individuality. I think that's a real moment of revelation for her that then forces her to be like, wait, maybe all of this is bad. And I didn't I don't have to be this person. I don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she just didn't have options like the fact that Adora was given the opportunity to leave the horde and was people embraced her and embraced her uh, a try who trying to make that change i mean there was definitely resistance like you know i remember at the very beginning like they're like oh she's a horde soldier because of her costume but she was able to get past that you know like there was because she had the special princess ability it might have been different for you know other people to try to like leave that abusive Mm -hmm. situation and position themselves in a different space yeah well, thank you guys for joining me. I am really happy to be able to talk about Shira with you. And this has been such a lovely show. And, um, you know, I, I literally just finished watching the finale today. So the likelihood <laughs> that I have like 50 other ideas that come to mind uh, between <laughs> watching this and actually getting the episode up is entirely possible. So listeners, uh, I would encourage you to contact us and share your thoughts as well. Uh, and I would say to my guests, um, where can our listeners find your work online? How about you, May? Um, well, so like you said at the beginning, I have a ton of writing on like out.com, them.us, autostraddle.com. Um, and, uh, I'm still like, I'm consulting on a lot of things. Uh, I just finished actually consulting on a lot of projects. Uh, some of the books I consulted on recently that are out now, uh, Cosmo Nights by Hannah Templer yeah. is amazing. Uh, I forget things. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the Deep and Dark Blue, uh, Stage Dreams by Melanie Gilman. I think especially Cosmonites. If you like Shira, you're going to love Cosmonites. It's lesbian space nights. It's amazing. Well, uh, oh, you, sorry, there's a new Melanie Gilman book out? Stage Dreams. Oh. Yeah, it came out last year. It's extremely good. It's a lesbian Western. Oh, shoot. That's gorgeous. Yeah, it's well, I'm a big a fan, book. so there we go. Thank you. Uh, and then I'm at May Rude on Twitter and Instagram, M-E-Y-R-U-D-E, uh, and mayrude.com. If you want to hire me to consult on your trans characters in your books or video games or whatever, uh, mayrude.com. Awesome. Thank you. And Lux, where can folks find your work online? Yeah. Um, well, I wrote a book, uh, Faking It, The Lies Women Tell About Sex and the Truth They Reveal, that is available at bookstores everywhere. Um, and I'm taking a little bit of a break from writing uh, because freelance writing is a little more difficult during this time that we yeah. are in. Uh, but I'm always on Twitter, uh, and my Twitter handle is at LuxAlptrom, L-U-X-A-L-P-T-R-A-U-M. And I am on Twitter a little too much at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana underscore Brooklyn. And I have some more awesome interviews coming up with comics creators and conversations around the shows that we love that are comics adjacent. And as we like to say, uh, oh, um, and of course, graphicpolicy.com is where we're based out of our home base for comics, news, and reviews. And as we like to say, keep it geeky.